You're listening to All Things Crime, brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including The Murder in My Family, Missing Persons, Scene of the Crime, Three Men and a Mystery, DNA ID, Malice, Riddle Me That, and Zodiac Speaking. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Warning. All Things Crime is a true crime production that may contain violent or disturbing material. Viewer or listener discretion is advised. I started thinking about shell casings and 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 what I can do to get DNA off of those because I truly did believe that the DNA would be protect, protected and I do believe it is isn't protected. And I think the MBAC is a, is a good example that can prove that, that even after so long, the DNA is still, you can get it out of these little weaves, these little porous surfaces. And I thought the same with shell casing. So I came up with a way of soaking the shell casings and getting the DNA off of, off of them. Suddenly we had a shooting, a drive-by shooting. And it, it was pretty horrific actually. Um, the, the, this guy was, it was a road rage. He, this other fellow was driving to get his daughter from school or take her home or something. And, and he got shot in the neck. The guy survived, but he got shot in the neck by this fellow who was just, you know, crazy. And people had witnessed this, the car driven off and the police were finally able to get this shooter after a couple of hours. But in the interim of him being gone, he had tossed the gun. He had gotten rid of it couldn't find it so they bring the car back and lo and behold what was in the car were shell casings because as he shot they pumped out into the back seat i did i did my method on these shell casings and we we have the suspect known sample you know from him his known dna sample and then we got the shell casings and we got the profile off the shell casings and they matched set me off on that is I can recall that we had a homicide and it was on Easter and it was so cold and rainy and the fellow who had been murdered was laying in this big it was like it was just all this mud it was just you know so rainy and cold and it it had happened um, early in the morning and there were all these shell casings and I didn't really know about DNA, but I had gone to Sorensen Forensics uh, years ago. Um, did a they uh, did a couple of classes on DNA collection and how to collect, and so I, I wanted to go and see what it was like. And I got to know a woman, Carol Raleigh, who worked there. I just just she is just so pivotal in what I do because she is kind of my mentor in the very beginning. She worked for Sorensen Forensics, and I called her. She gave me her cell phone number if I had any questions ever. So kind for her to do that because most people will not do that at a training. And on this Easter Sunday, I called her and I said, can you get DNA off of shell casings? And she said, I says, I don't know if it'd be worth collecting. She goes, oh yes, collecting, because sometimes you can get them. And, and I says, and, and how about if they're in the mud? And she goes, oh, you know, well, 
collect them anyway. And because, you know, they were raining and in the mud and we really didn't know. And so I collected them and, and we became, Carol just was so informative. Um, so I, I can't even begin to tell you whenever I needed to know something, I could call her. One day she calls me up and she tells me, Hey, we, have you heard of the MVAC? I don't know. I haven't heard of the MVAC. She goes, well, it's really a, a neat technology and, and uh, we have it here at Sorensen's. You might want to check it out because it works with getting DNA off of surfaces, poor surfaces. I really, and she goes, yeah, and it's made here in Utah. I went, oh, I've never heard of that. That's, that's really interesting. So she gave me your phone number, Jared. And I remember I called you and you graciously told me you would come out to West Jordan City Police Department and give a demonstration of the MVAP. And I was really interested because this sounded just kind of bizarre to me. How does this machine suck up DNA? And so you and Wayne Carlson, who uh, also uh, came out with you, uh, demonstrated this MVAC. And I remember watching it. And as you guys were doing this, I'm thinking, this is fantastic. This, this is absolutely fantastic. And then I also thought that it was ahead of its time. I, I really did. I thought this was like something that is like so fantastic, but it's a little ahead of its time, but I want it. I want it. And so um, I remember going up to uh, my chief. Um, uh, he, he was very pivotal, uh, Chief Diamond. Uh, and I told him I wanted to buy this MVAC. And he asked about it and I told him about it. And I, and I says, Hey, don't you get a grant? You know, and that a rural grant, could we use some of that money for that? And, you know, we're, we're not sure. Well, I don't know. And, and I says, well, how about, I wanted this really bad. I says, how about if I split the cost with another police agency and, and we'll buy it and we'll both use it, you know, and we can keep it here and they can come and use it and we can split the cost. And, Oh yeah, you know, that might be a good idea. Then it came time to buy it. I don't know if you were surprised that we bought it or not. I don't know, but I remember. I think we were my, just really happy. <laughs> uh, I, I remember when I went to the chief, I said, okay, you know, this police department will go in with it. He goes, nope, we're buying it ourselves." <laughs> I went, oh yeah, oh. I gotta tell you, it was the best move we ever made. It is more than paid for itself, you know, more than, I mean, it's just fantastic. But what was so interesting about it is here, here's what happens when you go and take something to a lab, you know, with traditional methods, you don't you either don't have enough DNA. And so you get all these inconclusive or negative results, or you have too much. I'm thinking, so what they're saying is you got to have the exact right amount or we're not going to be able to do anything. <laughs> and I knew, I, I knew now, now there's got to be other technologies. Things are going to come about. Sure enough, as time went on, it was, it was very shortly after, I mean, things were already happening at that point. It just wasn't well known all around, but we were able, and most labs didn't have at the time. And, and a lot of times, you know, the technologies that are coming out, we don't hear about until much later. And that's unfortunate because uh, I think law enforcement looks to their laboratories to inform them of what's coming out. And I think sometimes that doesn't happen, not because they don't want to as much as they don't have the funding or the money to get the technology. And so therefore why, you know, talk about it until we have it, but this technology was great. And I found out they have, you know, they have 
software that unmixes mixtures. They've got so many other things that can happen. And also found out that using the MVAC, where you apply that MVAC, where you focus your collection is really important. So that's when I really, I mean, you guys, that MVAC really got me into heavy duty, loving the DNA collection stuff. So what I started doing is with all my crime scene experience, I was able to look at these photos or be at the crime scene and say, you know, I can tell this person was drugged by their arms because their arm is out of this, this their sleeve. And, and you can see that everything's pulled up and they were drugged. I'm gonna focus my MVAC collection on that sleeve. Or you could see where they grabbed the shirt or, you know, just areas that have been touched or if, if it was something that you know that the, the suspect had to touch, that's where I would do my efforts. That was a real big learning curve for me. The MVAC is, was really easy to use, but I was afraid of where should I do it and when shouldn't I. When I got the hang of that, when I thought, oh, this is where I need to focus my efforts, it made a big difference. Not only, you know, for the DNA collection, but for solving crime. And so it just became so exciting for me to, to I would get pieces of evidence that I don't think were ever MVAC before played with. And I found that the most exciting stuff to do. Uh, I would get all sorts of things. I thought, this is great. I love this. I remember um, getting some old tape. It was so, it was a cellophane tape. It's that tape you use for packing boxes, that clear tape. It was so old. It was years and years old. I think it was 1980 something. It was really old. It was crumbling. It was old. And I, and they gave it to me down back. I'm going, I'm looking at this. So my second name, I don't know if I told you, Jared, is MacGyver. So I'm Francine MacGyver Bardell. <laughs> and I thought I got MacGyver this one. You know what? That is actually fairly fitting. Francine <laughs> MacGyver. Yeah, I love it. I, I tell you, I love that show. But I looked at that tape and I thought, there, I've got to be able to do something. And then I thought about dried fruit. You know, we have dried fruit and we get it wet and it all plumps up again. I thought, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rehydrate this tape with the MVAC buffer solution. And so I put the solution on the tape and I gave it some time to rehydrate a little bit. And I'll tell you, it turned out fantastic. And we got uh, we got profiles off of it. This was old tape that had been through several labs and it was awesome. And so you just gotta kind of experiment and do things. And as that time, as I kept experimenting, I mean, I experimented on all sorts of things, but I've gotten so good at it now that I can look at it and I can say, this'll be worth it. But I look at the photos, always the photos first. Crime scene photos are very important because you have to know what you're going to do with this evidence and where you're going to focus your attention. Hey, so that brings up something really important. Yeah. Since you have been uh, such a, an amazing innovator with these new technologies, especially the MBAC, how did that change how you look at a crime scene in general? But even if you're not actually at the crime scene, you know, a lot of these cold cases that you get in, you get just photos and, and basically a description of it. So yeah. how has that changed how you look at things versus before you had the, like the MVAC? Oh, changed immensely. Um, because you become really aware of areas that are touched that really most people couldn't do anything with. Or, or ignored or didn't know. Good example. Um, I had a case where 
it's an old case. The fellow was uh, murdered. He was a convenience store guy and, and he was murdered and they had done everything they can. And they were at a, at a standpoint, as I'm looking at the pictures, I'm saying, well, his pockets look like they've been entered into. Have, have you done anything with those pockets? And they, and they says, oh yeah, the, his keys were taken and they took his car. And I says, those could be MVAC. That, that could really produce some touch DNA because swabbing a pocket isn't going to get all that. But people don't understand is skin cells are not smooth little discs. They're jaggedy. They're not nice and smooth. If you were to look at it under a microscope, it, it they look disgusting. <laughs> they're, they're dried up looking, jaggedy. <laughs> you know, the older you get, the more jaggedy you get, I guess. I don't know. But uh, all I know is I looked at that and I thought, those have got to be embedded into this weave. And and to just swab it cannot loosen it up. But if you if you can put that that's fine spray of buffer solution on that to loosen the skin cells and suck them up. It's proved to be wonderful. And people never thought of some things. You can see some things and they'll think, Oh, I didn't know I could end that. Or I didn't know we could get DNA off of that. Oh yeah. I've done it with, I've done it with items that, that just seemed almost impossible. And I have gotten some really good results with that. So as, as I'm thinking about all this and I'm thinking, you know, there the MVAC has the, the little nozzle and it's kind of rounding. You have to have something big enough, you know, that you can, you know, slide that nozzle across. And there's some things that are really small. I'm Mike Morford, and I've been researching the Zodiac case for years. Zodiac, just the name. It sounds sinister. It inspires fear. The fact that a serial killer would give himself this moniker is disturbing. He would go on to taunt police by sending letters and codes to newspapers for years. And the attacks, they were something else altogether. If you were a young couple in a secluded area, you could easily be a target. And it wasn't just shootings on dark lovers' lanes. Zodiac would even attack with a knife in broad daylight while wearing an executioner-style hood. After a while, Zodiac changed tactics, and even lone cab drivers weren't safe. The Zodiac killer terrorized the San Francisco Bay Area and then vanished, but he left a lot of clues behind along the way. Clues that we're going to examine closely on the new podcast, Zodiac Speaking. New episodes of Zodiac Speaking come out every other Saturday starting March 13, 2021. Subscribe today wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. Well, one day after, I don't know, maybe 18 years, 17 years of of turning in shell casings for fingerprints or DNA, I kept getting the same results back inconclusive couldn't get anything there was anything you know whatever I just I remember thinking why do I keep doing this and getting the same results and then I thought what's the definition of insanity and it's doing the same thing over and over and getting the same results so I says I must be crazy because <laughs> this is never going to pay off and so I started thinking about shell casings and 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 what I can do to get DNA off of those, because I truly did believe that the DNA would be protect, protected. And I do believe it isn't protected. And I think the MBAC is a, is a good example that can prove that, that even after so long, the DNA is still, you can get it out of these little weaves, these little porous surfaces. And I thought the same shell casing. So I came up with a way of soaking the shell casings and getting the DNA off of, off of them. And I kept saying to my department, 
you know, can I, I had I had so many great police officers who were trying to help me get this done. And I, I, I would I would do my method and then I would put it on a filter and I'd want it. Uh, the, our, our state lab wouldn't do the filter. So we'd have to take it to a private lab, which would cost money. And I wanted to see if it worked and they're not going to pay money on, you know, this. Uh, you know, it, it was just casings I knew that I had. But suddenly we had a shooting, a drive by shooting. And it it was pretty horrific, actually. Um, the the this guy was it was a road rage he this other fellow was driving to get his daughter from school or take her home or something and and he got shot in the neck the guy survived but he got shot in the neck by this fellow who was just you know crazy and people had witnessed this the car driven off and the police were finally able to get this shooter after a couple of hours but in the interim of him being gone he had tossed the gun he had gotten rid of it couldn't find it so they bring the car back and lo and behold what was in the car were shell casings because as he shot they pumped out into the back seat so i collected those and i used my method it's called the bardole method and let's let's just say that wayne named that bardole method i i would have said einstein or tesla but no <laughs> wayne, wayne came up with bardole <laughs> But, but that's okay. I didn't want to think I was egotistical because that's not what I chose, but it, it was just, it was, it was fine for the time. So anyway, um, I did, I did my method on these shell casings and we, we have the suspect known sample, you know, from him, his known DNA sample. And then we got the shell casings and we got the profile off the shell casings and they matched. We, it was phenomenal. I mean, Sorensen was all excited. We were all excited. And it was just, hallelujah, you know, the stars open in the sky. <laughs> and it was wonderful, though, because the point is, this fellow had a history of um, person crimes, and this could have killed this father who went to get his daughter from school. And he is off the streets now. And since that time, it's helped on many cases. It's, uh, I, I do a lot of work for other law enforcement agencies uh, using this method, um, as well as the MBAC. They go hand in hand. It's great marriage. And um, I just, I feel it an honor and a privilege to help any law enforcement or family because there is technologies out here and they're getting better and better. They're they're just not, from when I started, they, they're, they're, it's going in leaps and bounds much better and when you talk about touch dna and the mvac and though it can get a lot of mixtures those can be separated out and the technology is getting so good on that that it it's just in the next i bet you in the next five years it's going to be phenomenal i i am yeah. so excited to be alive during this time and for everybody that's really young that listens to this this is the time to be in technology <laughs> it's great yeah. well and forensics you know oh, the, yeah. I, I remember when, I don't know, when we first got started in forensics back in 2012 is when we really pivoted into the forensics industry from, from food. And I started meeting all these lab managers and people that had been in forensics forever. And this is also kind of around the same time that the CSI effect, the CSI effect really, is it, it was twofold. One, it started tainting juries like what you were talking about because some of these even victims they're like well I've watched CSI so I know I know how you should be processing this crime scene 
even though they do it in like four minutes, you know, on the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's right there, so, right at your, right at your hands. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, make sure you swab that and swab that and you'll be good. Um, but the CSI effect in the negative sense also kind of affects juries because juries expect certain types of evidence to be available, you know, like fingerprinting and DNA. And like, if you don't have a DNA profile, then the, the person must be innocent kind of thing, you know, and, yep. you know, there's, a, frankly, there, you can't get DNA or fingerprint on every single crime scene. It just doesn't exist. So, you know, there's, but the mindset of some of the juries and some of the people in the juries nowadays, um, I think it's pretty fitting that they call that the CSI effect, but the other side of it, the positive side of it is when the show first came on, my understanding, there was maybe a half dozen to a dozen uh, forensics programs at the university level. And then that show was so popular that since then, there's like 170 programs now. So you can go to a university and actually get a forensics degree now. And prior to that, it was kind of all on the job learning. So it's, it's phenomenal. But, you know, the, the, the level of technology that is improving now in all aspects, not just DNA, the fingerprinting technology, the uh, hair analysis, I mean, everything is so much better than it was even it 10 years ago. It's, it's just amazing. So I, well, I, I learned, we, well, and, and to finish my point really quick here, some of those people that I was talking to, some of those crime lab managers that had been in forensics and been in the crime lab for, you know, the previous 20 years, they used to be basically be treated like redheaded stepchildren, kind of, you know, that uh, they were kind of ostracized. You know, they were the last it, when you couldn't find a job doing anything else, you went into a crime lab. <laughs> but now, now the crime lab is like the place to be. And everybody's trying to be a crime lab. And, you know, to be a DNA analyst, it, that is really competitive now. And so it's, uh, it's an exciting place to be. I, I think it really is. Um, more for me, what was exciting was working for a law enforcement agency and being able to have more control over your evidence and processing that was really important. Twofold. Number one is when I was at the scene, I could see what I wanted to collect and get DNA from. And I could look at those photos at any time prior to my collection you know, of any DNA, I take it into, you know, take the photos and everything else. You have to put it in evidence and you got to wait till you have things set up so you can do everything. But I would able, I could look at them. I say, okay, this is what I'm doing tomorrow. I'm going to work on this area because I had those photos and I had the police reports. I had everything there that I could look at knowing what I had to work on. This was such an advantage for law enforcement because you cannot give that information and show all those pictures and get as detailed with laboratories. I don't care if it's a private lab or a state lab. Bottom line is they have so many cases they have to do. They can't just look at one forever and ever. And, but your case is very important to you. It's, you know, and you put a lot of work in that. So having that MVAC there and having the ability to use it at 
that agency and then send it off the the filters off to a lab board was very contagious for me because then I knew I had exactly what I wanted. I didn't have to try to make notes to a lab or try to explain it to them. I knew exactly what I was doing. And then I was able to hand off the filters, you know, to, to a lab that would process them. And uh, that's, that was a real big advantage. And so the reason I'm saying this is a lot of police don't know that the MBAC is out there. They don't know a lot about it. A good example would be uh, the Angie Dodge case. Um, I don't know if if you remember when uh, I think Carol Dodge, Angie's mother, Angie was murdered and brutally murdered. Uh, and it was, it's been almost 21, 22 years ago. And, and there was, there was good DNA evidence there. Um, but they, they could never find the killer. And, and remember, I, I want to put this in for police, police, in the past, a lot of people say, oh, well, you put the wrong person in prison or, you know, you didn't do a good job or whatever. They only had to work with what they had back then. And, and DNA wasn't really known a lot about. So if they didn't wear gloves at the scene, it's because we didn't know about DNA. We didn't know it existed. So you didn't, you know, you didn't take those precautions. Uh, there was a lot of things that have changed over the years. Back in the day, I'd say, you know, early 90s and all the way back, um, they they were used to blood typing and so they didn't have dna and so it's not that they didn't want to do a good job it wasn't it wasn't part of protocol it wasn't known about so you have to give them that so in this case in angie dodge's case um a fellow had uh, christopher tapp um under duress um ad- admitted to murdering her and he's put in prison and he had been in for a very long time when Carol Dodge, Angie's mother, had she got in touch with you uh, about the MBAC because she had heard about this. And she oh, wanted I, to I, more about I remember it. that call like it was yesterday. Well, it tell was, me what she said to you. I never did hear. You know, it's so interesting. When, when we get phone calls from victims and victims' families, and, and mostly it's victims' families, people doing research, you know, on behalf of somebody else that's been wronged. And it, which was definitely the case with Carol, we we want to help them, but not being a law enforcement agency and not being familiar with the case, I really hesitate to to say one way or another because a lot of times when they'll call, and I think I think Carol was kind of looking for the same thing because when she called, she said, "Hey, uh, my name is Carol Dodge, and I'm my daughter was murdered in 1996 and." Uh, they have like some DNA, uh, but it doesn't match the person that's in prison. And I think there's another killer out there. And so I'm hoping your machine will help or, or could help solve this case. You know, my, my first reaction is, well, yeah, yeah, it, maybe it could, but I have to be really careful because I'm, you know, it's not my case. I don't, I'm not, I don't have any evidence or, or understanding of the case. I mean, just kind of almost being blindsided by it. So I, I tried to empathize with them. Obviously I try to say, Hey, you know, I'm really sorry that you're going through this. Um, and then I'll give them the same type, the same level of information really that I would give out at any conference. So our flyer, you know, basic information, just kind of talk about what it does 
you know, the, the basics of what the machine itself does, kind of the same type of, inf same level of information really that we would have on our website. And I sent that to her. I sent our flyer and stuff to her. And I don't know, I, I think the conversation lasted 15 minutes maybe. And, but she was, you know, obviously Carol's just such a sweetheart. She's just such an amazing lady. Interesting conversation. And those, those are always embedded deep in my, in my memory because they're so passionate and they're so emotional because I, I think, and this kind of goes way back to the beginning of our conversation. I think that today's society forgets a little bit about the actual victim of these crimes. And it's not just the person like it, if it's a murder, like in, in Angie Dodge's case, it's not just Angie that's the victim. I mean, her entire family and her entire community suffered from that, including the, the police agency. You know, Idaho Falls PD, uh, they went, they, they suffered too. They're part of that community. And, but, but especially Carol and, you know, Angie's brother, uh, you know, they, they, it's amazing how much they have suffered over the past 20 years, not actually knowing who in reality, you know, killed Angie and yeah. the fact well, that, it, that that's it, what, finally things, coming to a close. Yeah. It, it's not just suffering, but literally this is Carol's words. And I've talked to other people who have lost people. They're shattered. You can't put the pieces back together. Hmm. What this does to families and, and, and anyone who works on that case, anybody, even Christopher Tapp and even Michael Essary, who was thought to be, you know, part of this, their lives, they, they, there's pieces that you can never gather. And, and this is very hard on families. And so, yeah, you're right. You know, it, it does not just, if you were to count the people just in Angie's, I remember when I went up there just last week, there was so many people. I thought I had no idea, you know, yeah, you got to think about this and this and all these people. And, and every family, you brought up a really good point. They don't just sit back there and wait to see what happens. A lot of them will do research. A lot of them will, I, I've worked cases for families because they want to have answers. And they, they really are very passionate about trying to bring some closure. I, there's really not closure, but you know, some sense of, of some resolve. So that, that's a good point to make, but that was a, a touching case. And, and you're right, Carol Dodge, a, oh, she's an amazing woman. She's so, so much courage and tenacity. 20 years, she looked for the killer, 20 years. Thank you for listening to All Things Crime. We are so grateful for all of our listeners. If you enjoyed this, please give us a positive review so other people can find it as well. Have an amazing All Things Crime Day.